Welcome to CISO Diaries. I'm Leah McLean. And I'm Sia Yasutornrat. CISO Diaries is shining a light on the industry's thought leaders and trailblazers. CISOs need people to engage with them. They need folks to take security seriously as a first thought, not an afterthought. They need to value security as a core principle, a moral imperative, an anchor value. And they need people to listen, and they want to be heard, because after all, they are humans too. This podcast is for everyone, including leaders and those aspiring to leadership and security through CISOs willing to candidly share their personal side, and for us to get to know them apart from their jobs and understand their passions. Join us and have fun getting to know our CISOs. And we would like to thank our sponsor, Cyber Future Foundation, a think tank and a group of doers who are focused on driving change across cyber peace goals, workforce and talent, cybersecurity education and training, small business cybersecurity, and private and public sector collaboration. And now, let's meet our CISO. Oh, yeah. Hey, James. Hello, hello. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, we're, we're happy to have you. I don't know. It's it's a Thursday. This day has been crazy. I actually wish I could have a uh, espresso right now, like the one I saw you had this morning. <laughs> I, I need I, three of those. <laughs> I've I've had four of them today. I'm still a bit droggy because of the uh, second vaccine. So I will be, you know, if four espressos don't get me up, then then at that point, I'm just like, okay, I should just, you know, give up, admit defeat and just understand my limitations so james does that mean then uh if you don't sprout like a horn or an arm in the course of our conversation the vaccine's going well for you uh the vaccine is safe all the (laughs) anti-vaxxers or all the people who think there's a 5g chip in the vaccine i mean come on really like the government needs to yeah because we're all so interesting that the the government wants to use us all for 5g experiments let me tell you (laughs) i I love it like no one can ever give me a good reason as to why anyone would do that yeah or like when everyone gets so scared that their information's out there i'm thinking if people are really listening in on my phone conversations at the government level we have a very big problem they'll be very bored uh at least if they listen to mine for sure for sure okay i do have to ask james why espresso of all the the wonderful different options out there for you know caffeine rush? Why why espresso? Why espresso? That's a great question. So when I was in the service, I drank black coffee all the time because that's all you drink, and that's pretty much black water. It's what it is, right? It's water with some sort of something in it. And when I started traveling, um, and and I, I traveled to over a hundred countries, I, I started understanding more and more the culture of coffee and coffee shops. And I enjoyed the European version of coffee, which is an espresso, a 10 minute meeting over an espresso and you're done. If you can't get it done over 10 minutes, it probably won't get done. That's a, I love that. I know. And so I try to do the same now. So I'll do like espresso meetings, even with my team and other people. And I'm like, hey, you want to do an espresso meeting? And everyone understands what that is. And an espresso meeting is we're going to, I'm going to make us a, a, a double shot espresso. It's only warm, meaning it's only good for about eight to 12 minutes. So that's all we got. Once it's done, it's done. So get to the point. Yeah. Oh, I, and then, sorry, because you mentioned in the, you being in the service. So I do want to talk a little bit about, because you're back in your black shirt, but I see the Paisley shirt behind you. Mm-hmm. What is this all about, though, for those who don't know? So about three weeks ago on one of my shows, the Tech Town Square, who my co-host Eddie is unbelievable. And the guy always wears these really like, I guess I could say like loud shirts, like some of them are easily, some of them are very loud. They're very, you know, they're very like 70s taco meat, like, you know, gold necklace kind of uh, kind of shirts. And I'm always in my black T-shirt. And people said, James, would love to see you switch shirts with Eddie. And uh, and people started putting money like we'll pay you 100. We'll pay you 100. We'll pay you. I was like, I don't want your money. Let's raise money for a good cause. So we started a fundraiser with Wounded Warrior Project to raise money for that amazing organization that's helped so many of my brothers and sisters who've come out of combat and have needed 
mental health support or have needed additional support beyond what the VA can offer them in order to return to some sense of normal life. And so it's a cause that's near and dear to my heart. So I reached out to the Wounded Warrior, the people that were like, yeah, I love it. We um, are now at $2,676 raised for Wounded Warrior in about two weeks, two and a half weeks or so. Uh, the goal is to get to $5,000. Um, and then um, I'll be donating. Um, now we got to get to 5000 for anyone to see me in Paisley again. So up until now, I've worn Paisley four times. Nice. And if they want to see it for a full week, and I mean a full week, and I will do any podcast during that week, I will do multiple lives, I will do anything anyone asks me to do for that week once we hit $5,000. Okay, so you all heard it, James, here. Find him, help out the cause, and he'll show up in a Paisley shirt on your podcast. I will show up. To, I'll even come and speak to your company for, for 15 minutes wearing a Paisley if it'll make you feel good. I don't really care. <laughs> I love it. Awesome. That's a noble cause. And you know, that's so interesting. So where did you get that desire to give back? Is that something that because you're a veteran or does it something before that, like your upbringing? That so I think that it, it comes from one upbringing and like community around you that you always want to give back to people. Um, the second piece of it is we're one country. So how do we not give to each other? Like when did it become um, exceptional to give? Mm. This country was built on giving people been giving stuff to each other all the time, whether it be taking in new immigrants from different parts of the world to, um, you know, trade commerce. It wasn't always capital commerce. People forget that before the dollar, people traded, you know, I'll give you 10 chickens for a bunch of wood because you've got wood, I've got chickens and, and do commerce. So people have always been supporting one another and community is really important. And I think in, in, in what I do today, and I think in cybersecurity in general, we're a very large community in terms of giving. And what I mean by large is you can reach out to anyone at any time and they'll they'll do whatever they can to help. Um, you know, whether it be opening doors, getting meetings, all kinds of stuff. But now the, the, this to me is um, I've, I've been trying to focus more and more on getting veterans into cyber. Mm -hmm. uh, because I see it global. Like I look at Israel you know, mm -hmm. and, and I see how many of those veterans go to cyber and how many, you know, and why they have a flourishing cyber entrepreneurial place, but also a job market, right? Not it's everyone. A huge market. Right. So Which, not, by the way, that country is pretty much almost entirely all vaccinated. It was a mandate. Um, There's 65%. It's not mandated. You don't have a mandate to vaccinate. Okay. There are 65% vaccinated. Yeah. Still 35% is not vaccinated. Um, I'm going to Israel in, in, in about three weeks. So um, I'm, I'm very excited for that. But 65% um, of the population is vaccinated. That's about herd immunity that you need. The vaccinated everyone, though, everyone who's at risk. Mm -hmm. So people who are at risk have been vaccinated and they don't have a mask mandate anymore. You don't wear masks inside. Um People are outdoors. Um, they have large events. I mean, I'm going for a wedding. We expect about a thousand people at this wedding. Wow. So, like, you know, it's 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 normal there. And you know, I, a few days ago on Tuesday, I, I did an event here in Atlanta with about 150 people in person. Oh yeah, I saw that. Well, you posted about it. Yeah. So it was great to actually finally be with people in a room. Yeah. Like I actually did a panel where I looked at the panelists, not through a computer screen, but I could reach out and touch them and, you know, and we had mic issues and it was wonderful. Like whenever <laughs> I have audio issues in a live event, I'd always be like, how hard is it? And and this time I was like, it's so great to have someone's mic cut in and out every once in a while. Mm -hmm. It was nice. It was good to see people again. So yeah, I like, you know, going back to what you're saying is I think it's important that we give and continue to give. And anytime you're in a position, whether you're low or high, give, 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 help others uh, because, you know, that's good karma. It's just good, good role modeling as well. Yeah. Well, so it's funny because so you hosted the event, you're helping more veterans get into cybersecurity. And I think, you know, talk to a lot of people that know you well too. But the question does come up with them is what exactly does James do? <laughs> <laughs> 
and in cyber. <laughs> you want to help clarify for the audience? Yeah. So <laughs> put it in your own words directly from you. So we're not so, all having these conversations. Yeah. So people always say like, you know, I had someone ask me the other day to go, what's up with you? You know, are you a full-time podcaster? And I'm like, no, I'm a full-time CISO. Um, uh, I'm, I'm a CISO for, for a, a fintech company, you know, that, that I, that's my full-time job. That's what I do. I've built an unbelievable team and I'm a CISO who practices what he preaches. So I'm all for um, accountability. I'm all for allowing people to do what they do best. I hire the smartest people, people that are smarter than me to do the job because I don't need to micromanage every aspect of it. My podcast will celebrate three years next month. And I really started it because I got sick of listening to podcasts with vendors pitching <laughs> and not really having stuff that was for the practitioner. That was where I started it all because I was traveling a lot and I love listening to podcasts. I've been listening to podcasts for over a decade, right? Like when podcast wasn't even a thing, when the podcast shop had like, um, you know, uh, cereal and Joe Rogan and NPR and that was about it. And then a bunch of just random weird stuff and Darknet Diaries came on early and then a little bit of the Cyberwire. And, and there, those are great shows. Like I love Darknet Diaries. I think that's an awesome program. But I looked at everything else that I was listening to and I couldn't find a podcast that was talking to me in non-technology terms, right? Mm-hmm. And while technology... While technology is one important part of cyber, cyber has a human element and a practitioner element. Not everything requires a tool. Right. Exactly. Yeah, no, that, and that was largely why um, we launched a CISO Diaries, CISO Diaries, yep. we call it CISO, um, because we, there is no defined path to go from a practitioner into that leadership role to get that seat at the C-suite table, for example. And right. I, you know, so James, I'm so thrilled to have you. So as we're sitting there talking about podcasts, hello, let's say the actual name of the podcast, you guys, let's cross promote here. So it's CyberHub Podcast, correct? So I have CyberHub Podcast, CISO Talk, Goodbye Privacy, The Tech Town Square, and The Other Side of Cyber. Yeah, I do five shows now, three years in. And so, you know, COVID's helped me launch more shows because I don't have <laughs> right. to travel as much anymore. It's yeah. Right. So I guess suffice it to say, that's why you need so much espresso. I don't think I, you sleep much, do you? <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I take about four hours I'm not hours sleeping a night. much these days. <laughs> I take four or five hours a night. I do. But, uh, you know, and I, I try to balance stuff. Like I don't work Saturdays at all. So sunset <laughs> Friday to sunset Saturday, the world could burn. And I'd never know. Yeah. I'm I still don't think I, I still don't think that's enough time, just so you know. Like you really do need to give yourself a little bit more than just sunset to sunset. Just so, saying. So it's the Jewish Sabbath. And so it's kind of like a tradition. So yeah. it's it's kind of my thing of um, you know, I turn off my phone about an hour and a half before the Sabbath comes in, and I don't turn it back on till Sunday morning, unless there's a gut feeling that says you should probably turn on your phone Saturday night. Yeah. I don't turn on my phone till Sunday morning. And I enjoy that time, that time I get away from it all, right? A lot of people go, James, you never post on the weekends on LinkedIn. And I go, yeah, I'm giving you guys a break. Like have some work-life balance, man. I don't want to talk about cyber on a Saturday or a Sunday. Let's talk about other things. And I want to, I'm starting something new on Sundays on LinkedIn. Every Sunday morning, I'm going to post something about, you know, personal stuff and like work-life balance and, you know, things to do to, you know, get out of the burnout and get out of that other stuff. Because we, we you know, cyber's, uh, a job and it's a career and it's a way of life for a lot of us, but we've also got to balance it out. I mean, burnout is real and, and um, you know, we can't just, you know, work to li- live to work, but we should, right. you know, work to live. Right. And, well, and burnout, burnout can be very real too, because in cybersecurity, we're like the police of the internet, right? So you're not seeing the best of human or humanity in general. So I could see where it's not only a demanding job, but also an emotionally draining job as well, because you have to figure out how do you have um, respect for, again, humanity after seeing the worst in in everyone, right? That you see online and heaven knows what's out there. So you have to have a certain amount of passion. So tell me, or if you can explain to me, were you always passionate about security, cybersecurity? Was this something that was 
uh, that you developed in your course in the military, or is it something you discovered after the fact? Where did you find your love and passion? So, so my and love for after pa- that question, though, Please. can you circle it back to balance after you answer that? Yeah, absolutely. I know you and your wife work together, but then you have your balance and family and personal time. So for all those out there who maybe will or do work with their SOs someday, what is what advice would you give on that too? So I guess that so, question, see it from CN, then that other one. So balance. I love your question, Sia, because where does passion come from? Yeah. So I've always been a security guy, like a I was early on in my, like when I was young, people loved Superman and Batman and Spider-Man. I love James Bond. Like I thought James Bond and Q were like the coolest characters out there, right? Like Pierce Bronson, like when I grew up, it was like Pierce was James Bond. I didn't see the Connery version until a little bit later. And then I was like, this is like super smoking cool. Like I always knew I wanted to kind of be a part of that. And over time, I kind of started getting more involved in security. And then when, when I was of age, I, I, when I enlisted, I knew that I wanted to be part of something to do with security. And when I was younger, I will, I will preface this. So when I was a, a young kid in the early 90s, my parents decided that we should go to Israel. And we did. And we moved to Israel for a bunch of years. And we happened to move right during the Gulf War. So I have memories of me as a kid putting on the mask because we thought every missile coming from Iraq to Israel had chemical or biological weapons. And you would sit in a bomb shelter, you'd sit in a bomb shelter and every house had like a designated room. That's essentially a bomb shelter. And that's a reality in Israel, right? Until this very day, especially for people who live along the Gaza Strip, Mm -hmm. they, they have 60 seconds to get to a bomb shelter. And sometimes it's even less. And so, you know, I grew up in that environment where security became a little like a part of every everyday life. I became very conscious of it because I had, as at a very young age, I had PTSD from just hearing the sirens go off and then hearing the booms of the missiles landing, right? Like we, we would hear, we lived in Tel Aviv and we heard booms of missiles landing all around it. It's a vivid memory. I can still smell it. I remember mm-hmm. when I went into the military, I was in basic and we were doing a drill and that smell came to me, which ignited a memory from my childhood wow. and my heart rate went really up and I became very pale and my drill sergeant looked at me and he went, Azar, what's wrong? And I said, I don't know. And he immediately like came to me and, and actually sat me down because it was, it was, it was a very emotional period because you remember that stuff. So security has always been something I was passionate about from my time in the service. And then I didn't go into cyber in the military. I wasn't in a cyber unit. I was in an Intel unit in the military, but I had nothing to do with computers or signal. I was in a Mm -hmm. different side of Intel. And through that period of time, I got more and more involved. And when I left the military, I went into telco. And when I was in telco, I got more involved with device security. Mm-hmm. And kind of the idea of secured communications. And that's yeah. when I got introduced to tech. And then over the last, you know, what is it now, 15, 16 years, mm-hmm. I've been really into tech and cyber. Um, and, and it was, you know, I wasn't a, a CISO 16 years ago, but I was a practitioner. I was looking at, I was helping developers identify if I'm building something, how would someone get in? Mm-hmm. And so when you look at, you know, how complex security is and people say, you know, you said like we're the police of the Internet, I'd say we're we're the security guards of our organization from a cyber perspective. Yeah. Uh, people who, who really are the police of the Internet are the awesome folks at NSA and mm-hmm. U.S. Cyber Command and Army Command. Yeah. Navy Command and Air Force Command, because, you know those guys see the worst of it and the FBI and mm-hmm. service when they're doing like, I've been on a few of the child pornography things that they right. do mm-hmm. online. Mm-hmm. You know, like that to me, that that's the worst of humanity. Yeah. Yeah, right. absolutely. But that's um, the emotional cut for sure. Right. The adversary yeah. trying to break into my network mm-hmm. isn't the worst of humanity. That's an opportunistic individual. Right. right. That's no different than if you forgot your wallet at a restaurant and someone took it. Is that yep. the worst of humanity or is it an opportunity? Now, is that a bad person or is it a person who saw a wallet, 
at a moment of weakness, made a really, really bad decision. Does that make him a bad human? Well, it's debatable. I'm debatable. not. Saying, it's, debatable. it's debatable. I think it's again, it's debatable on circumstances, right? But you're right. I, I like that analogy of the wallet, right? If they proactively reach into your pocket while you're physically sitting at a restaurant, for example, that to me is a bad human. That's but if impact. it's something where yeah. you drop right. your wallet. And then in a moment of weakness or whatever, that's a different, that's a different circumstance. You're right. Um, yeah. So, okay. So the passions are from your history and then now you've got the emotional connection of mm -hmm. that wellness. So let's go to Leah's well, question then. Yeah, let's get to my wife for 10 years, almost 11. I've known my wife 11 years today, actually. We wow. Congratulations. Oh, didn't you, didn't you guys meet in the service? So no, uh, my wife is from Israel. I met her when I was in Israel. And so um, she's unbelievable. She's the most amazing person I know. Um, I don't think I'd be where I am today without her. So, you know, like seriously, she's, uh, she's my mentor, my role model, my best friend, my wife, my partner, um, my, my rabbi, my counselor. Uh, yeah. She's, you know, my dietitian, my workout <laughs> coach. Um, and, and, and just about everything. And, you know, she, she's unbelievable in, in all aspects. And we've been, you know, we, we, when we started working together, we weren't romantically involved. In fact, oh, seven and a half, eight years to, to actually even consider being romantically, we were friends and we were partners and we worked together okay. and we've built a really good friendship and a lot of understanding. So when the romantic piece came through, it, it was just so natural, right? It was just like, we've we knew each other so well that the you know the romantic piece the honeymoon stage where you kind of you're like an aura of the person you're with because you're like there's nothing wrong with them they're perfect no one can tell me anything's wrong with him or her my so is the best and then three months later you're like mm, no no the reality <laughs> the Kevin Hart. no yeah no. Yeah. I wasn't ready. Right? <laughs> yeah. um, um, we didn't have that because we had a very, very, um, we, had, we were friends. So we, we knew how to communicate stressful situations because of that. And I think that's really important when you want to work with your SO, right? Mm -hmm. It's the idea of um, how do you communicate in moments of crisis right. when your business has a setback, when you don't hit your goals, and, and that's where a lot of relationships break apart is in those moments of crisis, there's nothing to hold them up. We had a, we have a very strong base of just mutual respect and understanding. So when we hit rough patches, we know to take a step back and we know how to come in and analyze it without the emotional baggage that could be from, from other spots. Not to say we don't have our bad days. I think everyone does, yeah. but you know, I'm, I'm blessed to work with someone like her daily. I mean, it's awesome. That's awesome. And you're, I know you're not saying that just because of the anniversary or the fact that she will be listening to this episode in the future. So I applaud you, James. Good job. That was very smooth. She, she, she you know, she, I put so she much joined your podcast. Wonder, like, I'm like, did you watch my show today? And she's like, I didn't have time for it. And I'm like, <laughs> so I find them though. There, I think I was on a couple that she chimed right on in. Yeah, there was a couple where she joins, uh, especially the ones that are doing the evenings when she, you know, it's like our time. Yeah. And all of a sudden I'm doing a show at 8 p.m. Uh -huh. And she's like, um, okay, all right, I guess I'll tune in on the show. But, you know, a lot of people have met her. Um, and she's, you know, she's a, my, my wife was one of the first female snipers for the IDF. Oh, wow. That's right. Yeah. She, she was a trailblazer in the Israeli military. She fought her way through to be able to be, get a combat position and go into a combat unit. And she was the uh, a beta test for the IDF in terms of putting women in combat situations. And she served in some very interesting spots. If you speak to her, you know, she'll tell you all about it. But she's 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 a trailblazer. She's very cool. Well, it sounds like to me, James, uh, you better watch your back, young man. So uh, friendly bit of advice. Don't upset your wife royally. <laughs> I never do. I never or your SO in business, right? <laughs> exactly. I never do. I, never do. I, I, I try to be as 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 humane as possible, but an understanding. But you know how it is. It's, uh, you know, we're, we're not always perfect. Of course not. So I love the fact that you do from sunset to sunset on Saturdays. It is your 
your me time, if you will. Did you do you develop any hobbies um, for your me time or is it just free free flow? So it depends. So um, for a while, I did free flow. Right. For a while, I'd be like, you know, I'm going to sleep in until noon. I'm going to wake up at noon. I'm going to make pancakes and I'm just going to, you know, Netflix and chill because that's what I want to do. I want to be brainless. Right. right? I don't want my brain. I need to give my brain some decompression. Um, But, you know, Georgia in the spring and in the summer is unbelievable. And so it's hard to stay indoors. So, you know, I go on a lot of hikes. My wife and I pick a different trail. Um, We have a habit once a month to just randomly look at the map and pick a city and then drive to that city. Nice. You know, whether Georgia, South Carolina, North Carolina, Tennessee, Florida, uh, Alabama, we'll just pick a place and go let's go to this small city and we go to these like little small cities and it's, we make a day trip out of it and hang out and just, you know, um, see the country for what it really is, which is definitely not New York and definitely not Atlanta. Oh yeah. No, I'd imagine. So I had a girlfriend that did that once where uh, she and her partner would do a hundred miles. Doesn't matter what direction. And they would just pick a random spot. And then they they literally would spend an entire day learning about that community and just enjoying the moment of being there, which there were some hits and misses. Let's just be real. But it's amazing, though, how it doesn't take that far of a distance to have a huge change of scenery. Yeah. And I, and I think that type of a mentality, I mean, I probably wish I did more of it when I lived in California and I grew up there. But I really took that mentality when I moved to Texas. I'm like, okay, I have got to explore. So every weekend picked a different area within Texas and would just drive and go check it out. Yeah, I mean, 40 miles north of where I am and you're in, you know, rural Georgia and North Carolina and Tennessee and and so forth. So, you know, an hour and a half from here and, and I can pretty much be, you know, in a completely different community somewhere. And, you know, we've gone to places where we've sat in a local diner where people look at us like really, really awkward because mm-hmm. I have a thing with diners. Like yeah. that is my thing. Like I don't want to eat at a Denny's or an IHOP if I go on these things. I want to find the worst place to eat where they put like half a pound of butter on, the, you know, on the griddle and they make you eggs and and, and eggs and butter and hash browns and butter. And that's you're you're getting clogged arteries. Um, I don't see anything yeah. wrong with any of this so far. I, I'm just trying to understand what's what's so bad about this. Fully enjoying life. And it sounds like it's at least that one day a week. So, you know. Yeah, you got to get out. I mean, I think, I think that balance is so important because there's, you know, we talk about burnout all the time, but there's so many different things with burnout um, and taking some time away and finding a hobby or just doing something to get away from it to a little bit to reset is so important. Yeah. You're going to have to, so it's looking promising that in October timeframe, the Cyber Future Foundation will have our annual summit hybrid in, in Georgia. So we'll keep you posted, but you guys will have to let us know some spots to check out while we're there so we can enjoy and not just do all work. Um, I know we're coming up on time, but you know, one, one more question for you, James, back to kind of security and, and interesting when you shared your career into it. Um, there's a lot of people we know that are trying to get into a career in cybersecurity, right? Whether they're college grads or career transitioners, they're from all backgrounds and ages. Um, it, I mean, it's just unfortunate that it should not be this hard. And I just had a recent um, situation yesterday where one of our mentees, she's going to abandon the security industry because she can't break in despite her amazing resume and background and experience and certifications. And she's going to switch into nursing. We're a lot of us are banding together to try to help solve for this. But what advice, I guess, would you have or any words of encouragement can you share with, with those who are just like this um, person I mentioned? I, I mean, because I don't think it has to be all about the bachelor's degree and 20 certifications, but how? what can we do better to get more people in the field and make it easier? Trigger warning, huh? You found, you found my trigger question. Um, so... Well, it's a big passion of mine right now. I am, oh, mad. I am mad. See you should have heard. You should have heard Leah yesterday, James. I mean, the woman doesn't really swear, but it, oh, there was there was a couple strung in a row. I had to walk her off the ledge. That's how passionate yeah. she is about this. So yeah. we're ready for this, James. We'd love your opinion. 
Yeah, I, I, it's, it's an let's emotional one with me too. So, so let's start with this fallacy in yeah. security. Yeah. Security is an important job and it's really hard and it's very complex and only special people can do it and I'm special. And if you don't go through my path, you can't make it in security at all. You're a unicorn. Bullshit, bullshit, <laughs> bullshit. Yeah. Number one, security mm-hmm. is complex, but not every job in security is complex. Number one, Okay. Number two, we have an old guard of gatekeepers mm-hmm. that do very little to bring in young blood. So when I see older uh, folks who work in cyber who tell me, yeah, man, I'm doing 80 hours a week, I go, why? Why aren't you bringing in interns? Why aren't you opening the door for other people? So you don't have, it's like people take pride. I'm doing 80 hours a week. I'm like, I feel sorry for you. Yep. Yeah. They can't have the one Saturday to have off because of it, right? Well, they can't. It's not a badge of honor, people. Yeah, It's not a badge of honor. This whole idea of I work hard, I put in hours is BS. You can work just as hard in 40, 45 hours and still enjoy life because you're bringing in people. And Mm -hmm. as a CISO, I have a, like, you can ask anyone in my team and they'll tell you two things. James does not get care about at all. Certs and degrees. Don't care Mm -hmm. for them. Nope. Don't care. I got my first cert last year. Yeah. How's that? I'm just now in the process of getting mine. Just now. <laughs> Look, was, you yeah. know, I don't have a bachelor. Mm-hmm. I don't have a degree. I don't. Mm-hmm. I, never, I went to college for maybe combined a full year. I hated college. I hated it. I hated every aspect of college. It wasn't for me. But you served in the military, which proves you do have discipline. You do have the ability to focus and manage. But, but but when did college become a discipline thing? Have you gone, have you seen a disciplined college student? <sighs> well, and not only that, but, and I mean, I know there's a lot of organizations working on this one too, but even the curriculum in school for cyber, it doesn't match up to what you do on the job. No, 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 no. There's very few universities that actually have the right curriculum. We right. can put some of them out here. Um, I know in Georgia, it's UNG, the number one school in the country. Uh, they just crush everyone when it comes to the, to the NSA code breaker challenge, mm-hmm. which is a really, it's a nationwide. Now they've opened it up internationally and they've won it two years in a row. Yeah. So, wow. you know, um, I know that Kennesaw state in Georgia has a hands-on cyber program. Um, I'm now going to Western governor's university as of this fall to oh. check out their cyber program. Mm-hmm. I want to ch- a lot. I've seen a lot of people take their program because one, it's affordable and it's flexible and so I'm like, I'm going to go take it. It's online. It doesn't cost a lot of money. You know, mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm going to go take it. I don't have a degree. I'm going to go get one for the sake of, you know, if I want to go and work for a fortune 100 in the next, you know, four years, they don't even want to talk to me if I don't have a bachelor. And that's frightening it because that's up, right. It, it, I mean, it just is. And my boyfriend, has- my boyfriend is a 20 plus year veteran of security, no degree. But he's been in it since, you know, prior the 90s. Right. And, it, and it's just frightening to me and it's saddening to me because his expertise, his knowledge, his ability to do the job is if you and he's since retired. But like if you were to try to go back into the workforce, if it wasn't for networking as a networking, like the community of his people that he's worked with, if they were to have a bot read his resume, they probably wouldn't even look at him because he doesn't have the cert doesn't have the degree. He doesn't yeah. have, you know, oh, he hasn't worked in the last 45 years, whatever, but they don't understand, you know, mm-hmm. there's so much more t- to it. Right. Mm-hmm. So I think that's, that, that that's a really kind of big thing is one, you know, Leah, I can give you all the tips in the world, but let's start by identifying the problem. And yeah. now let's talk about what the tips are, right. It's not, mm-hmm. th- th- there are some great people doing some awesome work to help break this down. Um, yeah. myself and Naomi do a show on Thursdays and, and, you know, we talk a lot I about saw that one with yep. Renee, and you had Renee, yep. Renee small and, and Chris yeah. on, mm-hmm. uh, and, and we talk about this stuff with the breaking into cybersecurity, uh, folks. Um, there's a bunch of CISOs that are younger, you know, that are, we're all about interns. We're all about opening doors. You know, one thing I want to start and one thing I've encouraged a lot of interns like that to do is do a one minute video on LinkedIn. Yes. Why should someone give you a chance? 
Yeah. Hosted and tag people like me, like Naomi, like AJ Yon, like Russ Small, like you, yeah, like you two ladies. And we'll share it. Right. And we'll share it and it'll get out there. It'll get in front of a hundred thousand people. I know three, four people that have done that and have gotten roles, they've actually gotten jobs. People have actually yeah. No, you're right. And I mean, we started taking in this approach and we do now a series called Real Talk through um, CFF. We have the those come on who are trying to break in, in be the pass the mic, in, interview the leaders. We had Naomi on one. Um, and again, you know, after some of those connections, um, they ended up starting to get interviews and getting uh, more in their on their way. Maybe we'd love to have you on one as well, because once we start spotlighting that talent and then they get that opportunity to exchange and share and, and connect, then we do see them go on and move a little bit further, right? It helps a little bit, but then I think it's, you know, some hiring managers for whatever reason, it's like they don't understand that that talent exists in those people that aren't as experienced maybe in cybersecurity in their early in the career or career transitioners. But to showcase or for them to start seeing more of that, to understand, oh, I might want to take a look at those people. And that's what we're trying to change because because it is a problem. You're right. So so address it like this. One of the things we've done is we've taken away the ATS system from hiring in cyber organizationally. Wait, yeah. What's ATS system? Wait, what, is, what does that sound for? Tracking system. Yeah, that's where your resume goes through. And it's all about the keywords, SEO. Yep. Right. So it's some algorithm AI computer, which if you've seen coded bias, you know, they talk a little bit about it. The, the documentary on Netflix. Um, so a lot of that stuff is, 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 is spot on. And so it's, it's worth a watch um, just for the sake of really understanding some of the stuff that exists in tech. Um, the movie could have been done better. Just Wait, so. what movie is this? It's, it's a documentary called coded bias on Netflix. Okay. Coded really bias. good. Really good. You know, it could have been done a little bit better. I felt like it was very, um, um, it alienated a lot of different groups because of the way it was done. Um, but the science is true. I watched yeah. it twice because the first time I felt alienated. Then the second time I put that aside and I said, all right, let's look at the science. Is the right. science real? Now, the delivery could be very bad or bad or not very good, but is the science, are the claims legitimate? And the claims are legitimate and some of yeah. that stuff is extremely legitimate, oh. even though the presentation isn't the best. Yeah. Okay. All right, but we're going to debate that next time we have you, James. That's we'll fine. come back. Absolutely. But I'll tell you this. So you have, we, we've eliminated the ATS system completely. So if you're a hiring manager, the, the HR doesn't get to touch your CVs. They get to collect everything send it over to the hiring manager. The hiring manager can then internalize those within his direct team. So we like to do half hours, what we like to call them plank meetings. Mm -hmm. So plank meetings as everyone gets into a Zoom, into a uh, whatever collaboration tool we wanna use. And it's that entire department. So if it's you know, our incident response team, it's our IR team, if it's our threat hunting team, it's them, if it's our GRC team. And if they have a role, then every two weeks, they collect all the CVs. Um, someone goes through and identifies the top 25. Mm -hmm. And then those top 25 go on to the team. And in those 30 minutes, they review and say, all right, let's bring these 10 people in. And so we're not really looking, it's not a degree issue. And it's not a cert issue. That's not what they look at. They look at the person. What is on the CV? Are they part of any projects? Do they are, do they volunteer or attend or are part of B-sides? Do they go to DEF CON? And if so, you know, like that's why it's so important. You know, when people put on their CVs, I'm like, put projects, put volunteers, yeah. put everything you've done, everything you've been a part of mm -hmm. and, and let that shine through. The problem is that in most organizations, right? they don't operate the same way. Okay. So it goes yeah. into ATS, keywords, goes to the hiring manager. And on Tuesday, I, was, I did a CISA roundtable and we were talking just about that. And I said, how many times do you find a qualified candidate on the ATS system? And they go, rarely ever. Yeah, yeah. So if the system is broken, why are we not dealing with it? Right. No, that's a very good point. It's funny that you should mention that because I used to be an IT recruiter and this again was in the, the 90s. I'm dating myself here, but 
even now, my recruiter friends today, they will all say how difficult it is um, to find the talent that is creative enough for security as well, right? Because it's not just a simple matter of understanding these uh, applications that are out there, right? Or the endpoint devices or securing on all that stuff. It's that creative mind to anticipate a potential weakness or a vulnerability. And I think that's why, I don't know if you guys have seen this, I see a lot of creatives go in from maybe originally they were writers, journalists, and they move in to security. Are you guys seeing that as well? I see more people with the cus the people skills. The, they manage teams, customers, maybe customer experience managers, because you have to be actually very people oriented, be able to communicate and all the way up to the board level. From so, a leadership perspective, I, I've no, seen not just a leadership perspective. So, so here's what I've seen. Um, of my team, we have a position on our um, internal awareness team, mm-hmm. right? And that team is made up of two people and one of them's a marketing person, a full-time digital marketing person like this person understands marketing and his entire job is to do one thing, work with my awareness coordinator on running awareness campaigns, Mm -hmm. but he is the best talker in the company and he Mm -hmm. talks to everyone and he gets along with everyone. So he comes and he says, you know, this department is working on this we should probably start fishing them. And what they do is they coordinate with our threat intel team before they do a phishing campaign. They coordinate with our incident response team and they build really meaningful, very valuable campaigns. And we don't measure our awareness campaigns uh, based on click rates. I don't give, I don't care if you clicked it. I want you to click it. The question is, what do you do after you click? Right, right. Yeah. Are you reporting it? If mm-hmm. you're reporting it, wonderful. You don't need to go through training. Yeah. Wonderful. You didn't report it. Why didn't you report it? What made you feel so comfortable? Now, we have people who will, you know, and then we go down another task list and I'm giving away something here, but I think it's really important is did they enter their credentials in the fake landing page? Oh, that's right. So now that is my, that is my thread group. Mm -hmm. Right. That's my weakest link. Because yep. I have people who will click the link and not report it, but they never put in their credentials because they go, ah, I got got, I got got, I'm not doing it, I got got, and they don't want to admit it, right? They'll mm-hmm. laugh at it, but they don't report it. Right. Right? And and part of it is because whenever someone reports it, we actually give them something. Like we give people like uh, $15 to Chipotle. Um, I love that. We, I love it because we don't hold ourselves accountable. I was literally was having this conversation with my boyfriend today about the recent hack. I think one of the police departments, is it DC or somewhere yeah, that DC. got hacked by, by ransomware. And yeah. the bottom line is this is as an employee, I probably could give to, you know, to the wind if I accidentally click on a phishing email because it's you not my data care. necessarily. Right. But you here's the whole care. thing. But here's the whole thing is we need to, have a better education uh, system, if you will, for the employees to be better trained, to understand that that level of vulnerability, you could be that weakest link that just screwed over a $20 million ransomware attack, right? That you were that entry point to get in. So I'm going to ask you this controversial question, you guys. If we know that something like a phishing attack could really screw up an entire network, right? Uh, whatever it might be in your in your business. Do you think the next logical step is to hold that employee accountable to say, you expose us to X dollar amount, you will be fined for it. Or there's some kind of repercussions to make the employee understand their skin in the game. You can't just be clicking everything. No. So here's, here's how I like to look at security. We, um, and I'm going to take you to a really fun um, cartoon and a really fun imagery. Okay. Okay. Imagine that everyone who works in your company is a person walking. And we security are supposed to be that invisible layer of security. So imagine we are the invisible halo that's around someone. As the invisible halo, our job is to keep bad things away from that person. Now, put a good angel on one side, put a bad angel on the other, right? Put a devil on the other. This guy says, don't click. But this guy also says you need to do your job. This guy's saying, click it, click it. 
-hmm. Now, here's the challenge you have with that. When you look at us as halos, and our job is to be invisible in the security of a person, the moment we go down the route of it used to be, and by the way, what you're saying was a discussion among CISO three years ago that people should get fired if they fail three phishing tests. Yep. Which, you know, was like, you know, if they lose their jobs, they'll pay attention to security. And you're like, okay, no. All right, let's get out of that mindset for a second because that's not very, very con- productive. <laughs> it's not conducive it's just, to security. It will make it antagonize yeah. security. They just won't right. like it. And every other yeah. job, they'll be like, the reason I got fired is because our security department fired me because I opened an email. And then you'll make people afraid of asking questions to the highest ranking person in the security department. Or reporting stuff or yeah. or mm-hmm. all kinds of, the, 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 the downfall, there's way more bad that comes from something like right. that than good. Yeah. This is where I say the accountability falls on security. Mm-hmm. We know that human yep. is our weakest link in the chain. We also know that we can't make business so hard to do that it's mm-hmm. impossible to do business. Right. So we have to be that invisible halo. We have to put so many things in place and so many controls in place to drown out 99% of the attacks that come through. Mm -hmm. So now we're reducing our attack surface, right? So if we're getting a million attacks a day, if I take away 99% of it, then I'm I'm down to a thousand, right? So now I've got a thousand attacks coming through my organization a day at that 1%. Now I'm looking at that 1,000 and I'm going, how many of those are going to click? This goes to my awareness percentage, right? So how many people actually click through the link? Okay, so it's 10%. So out of that thousand that get through, I've got a hundred to worry about. Now on that hundred, what are some of the controls I can put in place to make sure that I can contain that mistake? Again, contain, meaning buy time to allow my incident response team to come in, do what they need to do, move out without the person even feeling it. Right mm-hmm. without disrupting their day, so we've you've got to have that as part of your program. You can't punish people for clicking a link because it's their no. job. No, and so beyond that, even security awareness and education and training to the organization as a whole, and make it known that I mean these people should not have to fear going to the security person with questions. No question is dumb. You can't, then we can't, we can't assume that everyone understands security, right? That is why we're starting to implement it earlier and earlier as low as kindergarten and up so that there's some fundamental understanding of it, right? I mean, because it's consumer just as much as it's business. Well, you look at it from this perspective is if you look, if if you address security from not only the root cause, because kindergarten is going to be 20 years before they're, you know, even near impact onto the, to the workforce, Right. We have to start looking at how we do technology different. This is true too. So how do we, I look for vendors that are going to come in and solve my problem, not add a layer of difficulty for the business to do business. And I want security to be invisible, right? I don't want my users to see security. I want my adversaries to see security. Right. I don't want my users to feel security. And that's also something I learned in my time traveling is is how do you identify, you know, I used to be able to go to countries and Mm -hmm. identify the people who are the security, uh, plain clothes security officers at airports. Mm. And it's always fun to watch them because they're easy to point out if you're looking for them. If you're looking for them. Yeah. Yeah. So it sounds like to me here then, James, and Leah, as we're going down this path, it's almost as if we need a part CISO, two with James. <laughs> it's almost as if the CISOs really do have a valid seat at the table at the C-suite. Because if you want that invisible perimeter, then it has to be in the conversations in all aspects of business for all the other leaderships to understand where the you know, the cost of doing business is going, right, to, to do whatever they want to execute, but understand that there is going to be some parameters to do it successfully um, without exposing the business fundamentally. So on that note, James, all these podcasts, I want to, re- I want to reiterate them so because I don't have it all written down, unfortunately. So Cyberhub podcast, CISO talk podcast, goodbye privacy. What were the other two that I miss out on? 
Blacktown Square and the other side of cyber. And Everyone. So you, but people can go to the YouTube channel, go to the Cyber Hub podcast on YouTube. All the shows are on just that one channel or your favorite podcast listening platform. You can get Cyber Hub podcast or CISO Talk podcast. So like, subscribe. No, no other better way to get to know James uh, than through listening to this podcast. And Leah, donate, of course, donate to the Wounded Warrior Project if you can and would like to also help there. Any, any amount crazy shirt. is unbelievable. Yeah, yeah, even if you can give a dollar. If that's mm-hmm. all you can do, that's that still goes a long way to help, you know, veterans. Because one thing about veterans is we volunteer to go in. We no one asks us to, and um, you know, um, the government isn't always there on the tail end once you're out of it. And unfortunately, that's not only a U.S. problem; that's a global problem for a lot of service members. Absolutely, James. If anyone wants to get a hold of you, uh, how best can they reach out to you? So on LinkedIn is the best place because that's pretty much the only social network I exist on, uh, James J. Azar. And then uh, my po- my website, cyberhubpodcast.com. Excellent. Awesome. awesome. Any James, final thoughts, Sh- uh, James, before we let you go, sir? We really appreciate your I time. Wish, I wish we had an espresso we could just cheers you off with. I, I, I You know, <laughs> at this hour of the day, it's bourbon, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was my, just going to say... I don't want to be up all night. (laughs) Um, But, but no, thank you so much. Good luck on this awesome new podcast. You two are starting. It's so, I love it when new podcasters come in the game and kind of like mix it up and make it fun. And so many people are so protective of like, you know, podcasts. And I'm like, it's such a big market. There's so many people out there and everyone's so unique and content rules. So go out there and just crush it. Ladies, just crush it. Thanks, James. Appreciate you. Leah, any hiring thoughts for you? I, well, no, I I think we just need a part two and three because we didn't even touch on cyber peace and intertwining of politics and cybersecurity, which James knows very well and everything else. So we will hopefully have you again as a guest on our CISO Diaries podcast as we continue to grow. I'd love it. Anytime you guys want me back on, I am at your service. Awesome. Awesome. (laughs) (laughs) All right. On that note, Thank you and wrap it up for the CISO Diaries. Until next time.